This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we are starting off on chapter 34, which is not a long chapter, but a really cool and interesting chapter. But to begin with, we come off of Parzival and his team basically under security watch in a best way to put this. <laughs> they are on the lifeboat that Og has thrown them. They are in the fortress that is going to allow them to battle confidently. That is Og's castle in Oregon. Right by and the Oregon Trail. Right by the Oregon Trail. So dysentery aside, they have donned their haptic systems. They've put on their oculence visor. They've slipped into the chair and they have spoken their passphrases to get into this system. And that is where last chapter ended, taking a deep breath before diving into what is going to be absolute craziness. Could be an epic shitstorm. Could be an epic shitstorm. So the scene, breaking into chapter 34, it's him back in his asteroid, and he has got a number of ships at his command that he could use, all of them awesome. He's got the Vonnegut, he's got his X-Wing, but the ship that he chooses for this final battle is what? Leopardon. Now, if you've ever seen any of the Supiderman cartoons, it's not cartoons, I'm sorry, Supiderman shows, because it wasn't a cartoon, it was a show. It was a... Yeah, yeah, I think it was like a live action thing. It was live action. Maybe it both, was actually. Yeah, bit of a trip. I do remember watching some of those, and uh, it was kind of unwatchable by today's standards. I don't get it. Like this, of of all the stuff that that I'm into, this is probably where I'm the weakest in regards to a majority of the robots that we're going to get into. So this is really my first time delving into a lot of these names comparing stats, looking at sizes, and trying to sort of size up the two teams. And the first one we come to here is this robot, and he throws it out there and yells, what? He yells, Leopardon, like... Oh, I like the name of the thing, yeah. Yeah, I know, it's really creative, <laughs> but... <laughs> but uh, what, what I thought was funny was that apparently uh, he gets into this a little bit later when he's talking about the features of the robot and how it works, is that commands only work if you yell them. Well, yeah, because I, I would imagine it's like the television series where you're just you're yelling the phrase really powerfully. And I mean, that's the brand, right? Like That's the one thing you want. That's the one thing that's yelled in the show. Yeah. But, Coca-Cola! <laughs> But, right. you know, in the Oasis, you can have the you can have a super elaborate version of these robots. So you might have a few more commands. So it's kind of like, like, what if you wanted it to, I don't know, wipe your ass? Um, I, well, first off, it gets really big. So I'm not sure you'd want that in your restroom. Second, he says he has to take the precaution of backing away from the robot a good distance before shouting Leopardon. Because as it turns out, it grows 100 meters with its head popping out the top of his launch bay. That's a big fucking robot. 
That is a big robot. That, that's a huge freaking robot. I, I went to look at pictures of this, and when I saw that it could transform into a flying ship, that was the part that I was really interested in. There was, okay, so he's going to fly off in this thing. How cool does this thing look? Transformed into, into this basically a, a giant spaceship. And it looks like a GoBot, going to be honest with you. Like the legs fold and the head plops on top like a it looks like it looks like the command area of a of a aircraft carrier. It just it just looks folded. It looks you know did you ever have gobots? Did you ever have gobots? Did you experience the gobots? Uh we had transformers. Well, the gobots were the shittier versions of transformers. They the like transformers were like little puzzles. They had like difficulty levels, you know, a variety of things that could fold and move because a lot of the a lot of the transformers were fairly articulated and as it got more complex they became more articulated. It's really pretty cool. Gobots could fold like three times, right? They're like their their legs would fold out, their arms would pop out the sides, and the head would flip where the front end was. It was ridiculous. Yeah, they look a little. Yeah, I see what you're saying now that I'm got some images up on my screen. Yeah, they don't look as interesting, not as, nearly as cool. But uh, generally, the robots and that are mentioned by name in this chapter are very cool looking. That's true. Like, I, I think this is one of the least cool looking. Now, granted, it's powerful. So, you know, it can transform into a spaceship if you yell, change Marveler! Right? And then it turns into the Marveler, which is basically the legs fold up and the head pops up on top, and there's your spaceship. Barely looks like a spaceship. It kind of... Uh, let me look at the Marveler. Yeah, it just kind of looks like... <laughs> <laughs> it just kind of looks like he's jumping horizontally. A little bit. It just it looks like somebody folded him up folded him up into an uncomfortable position and then said, That can fly. Now I'm being critical because of this. It's not nice, it's not fair. We're talking about eighties here. We're talking about the kind of props that they had to use. We're not talking CGI here. So they had to create something that looked like you could do this. And then they had to, I guess, hold it on a string or a stick or whatever to fly it over cities and whatnot. Something that just didn't come across very well looking at it now from a more modern lens. Yeah. It it gets hard to watch some of these older productions. Yeah, because well, we have we have the technology now to be critical of it, but back then I imagine if you didn't have well I don't have to imagine, I remember if you don't have the tech if you didn't have the technology to make these things sort of come alive, you just kind of enjoyed the story. You know, it didn't have to be the coolest looking robot to understand that it kicked ass. And to imagine how big this thing really could be. It's a bit like watching Godzilla. And, you know, that's obviously a dude in a giant foam rubber outfit walking on a miniature set. But it's neat to watch. And you really have to use your imagination to kind of fill in some of the pieces. And when you do, you know, using your imagination to sort of fill in the parts really kind of makes it more interesting. And frankly, I'm not even sure that watching these back in the day when that was considered the best in special effects mm -hmm. that we weren't, I mean, like I remember being amazed by all this kind of stuff. Like, wow, look what they can do. That's really neat. It's not until you see what's better mm -hmm. where you see it for what it really was. But at the time when you don't know what's better, it looks the shit. Right. Right. Yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And part of it is, is that like you do get to use your imagination to fill in those blanks and you're kind of doing that kind of subconsciously. Right. So that gives it a almost a better appeal than somebody filling your imagination in for you. Right. Right. Yeah, no, you're absolutely correct. So we're talking Leopardon. 
And let's let's talk about its capabilities here. So, you know, right off the bat, we're talking an arm rocket. So it's got punch capabilities. The arm can separate, fly off, hit stuff, or grab stuff, for that matter. It's a Tesla robot. Mm-hmm. He's got the arc turn, which is the decoration on Leopardon's head. And it flies around like a boomerang and emits a ray of white light while flying. I'm sorry. It emits a ray of light <laughs> while flying. I assume this is like a laser that can cut through shit. I, I don't know. I've not seen it in actual action. There's the Leopardon strings, which is a rope that attaches to objects that's launched from his chest. This Why is not? It's beginning to sound a lot like uh, a very large version of Wonder Woman. I understand that. He has the spider protector. It's a shield created from an energy panel that emits both of Leopardon's lower legs, and it takes the shape of a spider webbing. And he has the sword of vigor, which is attached to Leopardon's right leg. And he doesn't evidently doesn't wield it in combat, but he throws it instead as a as a finishing move. Well, don't we all? I, I, I guess if that's well, yeah, I was about to say if that's the most powerful weapon you got, and you're like, I'm just gonna fuck with you for a while, and then you just pull out the sword and go blink, you're dead. It is all. It's usually it will always be the last weapon you use. Does it come with a sound effect that says finish him? <laughs> it would be cool. <laughs> I'm guessing not. It's quoted here as being a powerful weapon due to its capability of destroying most machine BEMs in a single blow, which kind of begs the question there of, why doesn't he just start with that? Well, I mean, isn't that the trope of nearly every single (laughs) magic robot or weird superhero type thing? You have this awesome weapon. You, You save it for the very end, though. Yeah. Yeah, the most powerful weapon that could, like, save the freaking day you know it's i've used all my missiles and we've lost our arms and rockets what are we going to do well we have a sword what yeah we've got this giant clink sword here <laughs> and then it's like chop it cuts him in half right down the middle every episode of ultraman is basically i'm gonna just pretend to look like i'm kung fu fighting you for a while and then at the very end i will cross my arms and get the energy ray and actually finish you off yeah, yeah. It's like you watch the show of him of them going crazy. Only just kind of wait, just wait for it. Wait for it. He's gonna pull. He's gonna pull it out. He's gonna pull it out. Whip it around. He's gonna beat him with it. Wait for it. And then everything's gone. Like that's what you're waiting for is the finishing move. Anyhow, to move on. Moving on. So take us from here. He he transforms his leopardon into the marveler and flies off to the nearest stargate. I think everybody should recall by now that they have these big stargates to move long distances across the oasis. And he goes to his nearest stargate and heads to Sector 10, which is where you can find Thonia, which is where Castle Anorak is. My first question is, why Sector 10? So the way I kind of figure it, if this is home to the planet that has Castle Anorak on it, it's got to be one of the high-end real estate locations in the Oasis, right? Right. And so, like, what is that sector? Sector 10 is kind of, you know, if you're thinking of it as a Rubik's Cube, it's in a weird place. Why not sector 14, which would be the sector right in the middle, the heart of the Rubik's Cube? How do we know sector 10 isn't in the heart? Because I'm assuming that it's numbered sequentially. Hmm. I get you. I, I don't know. I guess that's the interesting question there. How are the sectors numbered in this three-dimensional cube. I, I suppose. I wonder, you know, when we were talking before, I think Sector 9 had some degree of relevance 
when we talked about it earlier, earlier, many, many chapters ago. There was something in Sector 9, and we found something that had to do with Sector 9. I, I don't know that Sector 10 is... I, I don't know. That's a question to ask, I suppose, because I can't really think of a reason why a Sector 10 would have relevance at this point. Yeah, see, I figure Sector 14 is right in the middle, so that way, I mean, not that it would matter for James Halliday slash Anorak. You're the closest to every other sector, relatively equidistant to every other sector. Well, that's assuming that he wanted that planet and that sector to be in the middle of everything, right? Versus him building his castle as one of the last things he built. Then why not Sector 1? I don't know. Well, Sector 1 was, I think, the... Uh, was that the one that was for commerce? I think it was. I don't remember. But that said, can you think of anything that would possibly relate Sector 10 to something else? I, I tried to dig for that, and the thing is... Sector 10 is so prevalent. There's nothing obscure enough that would be worth mentioning. Gotcha. Unless you found something I didn't. I didn't find Jack on that. At this point, it, that, that is so so deep into the weeds right now. I'm just, just going to take as a matter of fact that Sector 10 was just a convenient number to pull out. Yeah. Because he pops through that Stargate and it is like a Christmas tree. I can imagine him looking at his radar and seeing... This Christmas tree of ships all funneling in to a single point that is the planet that he is heading for. So I feel like there's an interesting thing to note here is that he's using imagery of something that he probably has never actually seen in real life. He's never seen a real Christmas tree. He's only ever seen it portrayed in the pop culture that he's been watching as part of the contest. Maybe. Yes, do, do I you, could see Do you that. think Aunt Alice had a Christmas tree? Um... Maybe they had a, who knows, maybe they had a communal Christmas tree, like in the middle of the stacks, down by the fire pit. And, and if they had a tree, they'd probably use it to light a fire. <laughs> maybe afterwards, but yeah, I could, I could see it. I could, at the very least, he's been exposed to it. We can say that maybe he's, he's seen a Christmas tree in, in the Oasis. At the very least, he has seen it in the Oasis. At the very least, he's seen it on Family Ties. War on family ties. This is true. So that's right. So there you go. Pop culture references would have Christmas trees in them for sure. So what I think is interesting there is that, again, this kind of falls back to why would you even go out and buy a Christmas tree? And more importantly, if they're in the stacks and no one has access to gas, hence the reason why there's a shitload of cars piled up and abandoned, where would they get the tree from? Not only that, there's also an energy crisis. Yeah, precisely. So, you know, I, I think it'd be a situation kind of like, you know, if you don't have a car and you can't go get your food, but, you know, you can like dial in and order it and have it brought to you or go on the Oasis and order your food and have it brought to you, you'd probably just go on the Oasis for your Christmas holiday, too. Uh, so I think you can go to Christmas sector and say, I want to have a nice stereotypical Christmas with the fire in the hearth and yep. the, all that good stuff. Ready? I give you the Griswold family Christmas tree. A lot of sap in here. Mm. Looks great. A little full. A lot of sap. Well, I mean, they talk about not because of the energy crisis. Flying is crazy expensive. We talked about that last chapter. And as a result of the energy crisis, it would make it very difficult to travel anywhere for the holidays, but they don't have to. That's what the VR does. 
you know, why travel to the beach when you can lounge on a beach in VR and see the oceans lapping the beach sand in front of you? If you can simulate the whole experience and get the best experience or as close to the best experience as you can get, why the hell would you go anywhere else? I don't know, to actually enjoy the realness of things. If it costs too much, you're in you're in a stack. All right. There isn't trees. There there are there isn't a living tree for forty miles. What are you gonna do? You know, the best thing to do is just go into VR and celebrate with your family at Christmas world. You laugh, but dude, I, I come from Knoxville, Tennessee, around the corner from Gatlinburg, Tennessee. There is a year-round set of Christmas stores there. Year-round? Year-round. Fuck. Yeah. Several stores. Like, it's like Christmas land. Year-round. And we're not talking about, like, some shabby shit with the t-shirts and, like, the spray and whatnot. No, no. Like, big stores. Year-round. They go big on Christmas in Gatlinburg. Okay. But yeah, so I can imagine a Christmas world where you'd go into VR and you'd, you'd travel to Christmas world and, and then you'd hang out there for a couple of days. If any of you are looking for any last minute gift ideas for me, I have one. I like Frank Shirley, my boss, right here tonight. I want him brought from his happy holiday slumber over there on Melody Lane with all the other rich people. And I want him brought right here with a big ribbon on his head. And I want to look him straight in the eye, and I want to tell him what a cheap, lying, no-good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, worm-headed sack of monkey shit he is! Hallelujah! Holy shit! Where's the Tylenol? Cool. could totally see it. And you could gift each other digital assets. There you go. You know, it's. I know you can't use this sword, Aaron, but in a couple of years, when you've leveled up enough, then uh, then I'll, you'll be a big enough of a character to be able to use this sword. So here you go. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> so anyway, he arrives in Sector 10. His radar screen has lit up like a Christmas tree, mm -hmm. and he's just flabbergasted by the insane amount of avatars and ships just everywhere. Mm -hmm. And they're all kind of funneling together, uh, heading towards Thonia. And we actually finally get a description of what Thonia is like. So he describes it as a tiny blue-brown orb and Castle Anorak looks like an onyx jewel. Mm. So he has this feeling of exhilaration and that maybe the plan might work. Right, right. But there was this warning that, you know, maybe these people are just coming to watch this shit show. Just because people are dialing into the train wreck doesn't mean they want to be on the train. Yeah, everybody should, might just be there to rubberneck. You never know. <laughs> that's, that's a good reference right there. Yes, sir. So, of course, his thoughts drift to Artemis, who actually gave the warning about, like, people just set up lawn chairs and eat popcorn. Which, I have to admit, I could be one of those people who would set up the lawn chair and eat popcorn during this whole thing. because. As I've admitted many times before, I am not a video gamer by any stretch of the means. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how much I would help. So I would either sit back, relax, and have fun, or I might say, fuck it, and just go for it. So let me ask you a question then. If, if you were the kind of guy that had like five Lamborghinis in your garage, right, would you drive them? 
I don't think that's what you'd do with Lamborghinis. If you had another car, I know, but follow me here. If you had another car to drive that wasn't expensive as Lamborghinis and you had five Lamborghinis in a big ass garage, would you drive the Lamborghinis? Knowing that there was a risk that you might get hit, that they might get damaged, that there's a limited number of them that could destroy the value of it, that just putting miles on it lowers the value, would you do it? I don't know. I'm, I'm asking you. You can't pivot here. Don't walk on the edge with an I don't know. Would you just store it in the garage as beautiful things to look at, or would you take that puppy out for a drive every day? I'd probably just leave it in the garage. Gotcha. So if you had a kick-ass robot to bring into play, you wouldn't bring it into play. You'd just sit back and watch. As far as we know, the only people that have actually played uh, Black Dragon to actually get robots are Sorrento and his 10 minions Mm -hmm. and the four remaining members of the High Five. Okay, fair enough. Not robot, then tank or spaceship, let's say. I would think I'd have to feel pretty darn confident that I could that I could partake in the battle and if things start to look like they were really shitty, that I could get myself out of there without dying. <laughs> but you would still come to what well, so let me make sure I get this right. You would come, you would watch, you'd lob some shots from a distance. <laughs> from a distance. With my cloaking um, thing on. I was there, man. You don't know. <laughs> I was on the front line. I contributed to that battle. Well, it really kind of depends on <laughs> if you die, what do you lose? Is it really like everything? You lo- you lose your ship. Losing the ship, okay, but like do you what is it really everything? Mhm. We discussed this. Everything everything. If you die right away uh in the fight, mm-hmm. that we presume is going to happen. Right. So, how do you watch the rest of it? You don't. You spawn as a level zero, you know, Wimpazoid. red shirt. <laughs> yeah. You you just spawn in at the spawn point and walk past the malls and <laughs> you got nothing. Yeah, see, I yeah. feel like if he's, I don't know. Anyway, let's move forward. Okay, fair enough. So, what I thought was interesting about his thinking about Artemis, the situation, was when he says that whatever happens there, Athonia, that everything he'd risked had already been worth it. So this is one of those things that's like, well, it doesn't matter whether they get the egg, you know, that one of the high five get the egg or it's IOI, it doesn't matter. Everything has been worth it. Right. Yeah. I I like that part that he reaches this sort of Zen-like place where he feels confident in his purpose and he's already landed. He's already landed. Like everything this point further is him fighting for something. But he's already built up the battle. He's already drummed up the battle. He knows he doesn't have to go it alone. Everything he's done here, when he looks at the field of Gunters that stretches shoulder to shoulder across the horizon, everyone is behind him. Because of him. He literally has. Because of him. This was his idea. So, you know, he's already... He's got to feel like the big robot dick. He's He's already succeeded at this point. Now he's just got to play out the rest of this. You know, he's just got to do his part in a larger battle. And granted, he will have a large part in the battle. But at this point, you know, he's already feet away from what he is at least conveyed as the love of his life, at least for, you know, the moment. And, uh, you know, he's as close to her as, as he's ever been. And when this is over, he'll be able to see her. So he this is a this is a no loose scenario. You know, he'll, he'll give it his all to, to do what he needs to do to get to the egg. But one way or another, when he takes off the visor and he gets out of his haptic chair, you know, he's going to see the love of his life. This is 
quite a turn from when he was considering jumping off of a building if he didn't win the egg. <laughs> he ha- he has come out of the darkness. He has come out of the underworld and stronger for it. Good for him. So he shows up and he's got this sweet ride and people are hailing him and he's turning them off because he's like, fuck this shit. I don't want to listen to all this garbage. We get to the point in the in this chapter where I, I was just, I really enjoyed the writing of it because it was just so descriptive that you could really paint a wonderful picture in your head about what it would have been like to arrive at Thonia with all those avatars. Ernest Klein's writing about how it was like flying through a swarm of metal insects and yeah, like the concentrated pulsing mass of ships, like some otherworldly Woodstock. And then you see Castle Anorak and it's this onyx jewel gleaming beneath the Sixers transparent spherical shield. And then the hapless avatar or ship that would just scrape by the shield and get vaporized like a fly hitting a bug zapper. So descriptive. Really enjoyed it's, it. It's a really neat. Yeah. Oh, no, I totally agree. Like this, this particular part of the, the book, the sort of the level of imagination that starts to fill in the details with the going through the, the different robots for one, because it's, it, there's a lot of references here. You know, this onyx jewel that is the castle. You're, so you're talking about this giant black glassy surface sparkling castle that's just gargantuous if you you know just imagining this in my mind was more like emerald city from the wizard of oz only mm. black oh that's a good picture i like right? that and this fact that the size of a ship is so big and that there are so many people or so many gunters that have flocked here that they just seem like insects that there's just so small so Again, I'm not to really iterate too much of what you've already said, but I just kind of like the, the, the juicy context. And there's a lot of referential shit here. But the cool part is, is that you're able to really quickly reference that online and get an idea as to what these robots look like and, and what this scene looks like if you're not already familiar with it. And if you are, you know, you're putting these pieces together in your mind and it's like this collage of awesomeness. What it reminds me of is when we were talking not that long ago about all these movies and TV shows that were filmed before special effects were as good as they are now, and you had to use your imagination to fill in the details. Well, it's paragraphs like the one that I was just excerpting, where my mind is filling in all these details. And it's why I think like these chapters ahead are my favorite chapters in this book because They're very vivid. The descri- yeah, the descriptions are so vivid that I have no problem coming up with the picture and kind of going through it all. It it's so it's so clear in in my head. Love it. Well, the one thing that I thought about when I was listening to the description of this, you know, with what what it feels like millions of gunters in their ships, large and small converging into this very small place. When I watched the movie, I felt there was ever a place of disappointment where I felt like there wasn't enough of a display of vastness of how grand this battle is or how big this battle is. This was it. Because in my mind, I could see millions of tanks and gunters of various, you know, types and ships just surrounding this gargantuous castle, but, you know, pulled back 
it's it, you know castle looks relatively small in comparison to the large crowd of gunters that are surrounding it the vastness of it was not communicated well in the movie and this was one of the points of of disappointment for me in watching the movie it just did not feel like it was as grand as the book painted it i hear you so parcel meets up with his buddies h artemis and shoto and this is where he gets to finally see what robots they chose. And starting with Artemis, he realizes that she is Minerva X, or as he describes it, the female version of Transor Z. Right. So what specs did you come up with for Minerva X? Well, first off, Minerva X isn't really portrayed, it seems, that frequently. There are a number of videos where Minerva X is there, but it's very similar in size. So Minerva X is about 18 to 20 meters tall. And again, it kind of depends on Transor Z's size because that seems to fluctuate a little bit. So it seems to be, depending on, again, the episode we're talking about, somewhere between 18 to 20 meters tall. It, it seems like, I'm not getting a, a whole lot of detail as far as the powers are concerned. It's a cool looking robot. It is. That's a hot looking robot. I wasn't going to go there, but I can totally see why, why that was picked. Well, but it's still only. Let's pause there for a second. We know okay. why Artemis chose Minerva X. We know exactly why. Uh, why? Well, why? She chose a female robot on purpose. And if that was the only female robot, she would have picked it, even if there was something 10,000 times more powerful. Totally get it. You know, it's a strong female character. Well, yeah. I mean, like, it was an obvious choice for her. And right. not knowing enough about additional robots that could have been. A possibility. I don't know what other female robots there were to choose from. I can't imagine there's a lot, though. Uh, you got to keep in mind, as we're talking about the 80s, and you're talking about a majority of the crowd of the peeps that are watching these cartoons and watching a lot of these live-action you know, robot stuff is going to be... I mean, basically us in that time period, dudes? Well, it, it's sadly pointed at guys, and that was kind of the... I think, I don't know which came first in this chicken and egg scenario is it that women just didn't go to the robot shit and these animated action things because there just weren't any strong female characters that weren't somehow pivoting around some dude or is it a situation where they didn't make them because when they tried they didn't get any women's interests and said forget it that's a waste of money yeah why even try so minerva x is really like a side character in this and there are some videos where there's kind of this weird sort of a romantic relationship going on with Mazinger Z. So uh, I'm sure that I pronounced that to holy hell, but Will Wheaton pronounces it like Mazinger. Okay, Mazinger. So it's, it's, I don't know, it's hard to say, but uh, usually those robots have energy that comes out of their face, energy that flies off their chest, missiles that come out of their elbow joints. Arms that like can that. go straight out and make you fly. Yeah, exactly. And we're kind of looking at the same kind of thing here, I would imagine, with Minerva X. In my mind, what we're looking at here is not just like powers, because the powers are like laser beams, shit that flies around, missiles and fists. That's going to be a common trope amongst a lot of these, as well as fucking swords. OK, <laughs> uh, but when we talk about scale, you know, real scale. I think that's kind of an important thing to hit on here. And when we're talking about Minerva X, we're talking about 18 to 20 meters. So when we compare that to Leopardom, he sets down next to Minerva X. Okay. She comes up to his shin, basically. 
So she's tiny <laughs> compared to. Yeah, she's one fifth the size of Leopardon. Her robot comes up to like his kneecap, maybe. Okay, but let's also just keep in mind that these are sizes that they may not necessarily translate that way in this Oasis portrayal. Well, um, they kind of, well, it's, it's communicated as having to. I mean, if, if you're going to stay true to the series, they're going to be as big as they were. You know, there was a reason why they were certain sizes. You know, how you might pilot them, for example, or how you might control them. That, that all relates to the size. So I haven't seen anywhere in the book where the sizes were somehow skewed. So when we talk about Minerva X in regards to the show she comes from, we're talking about 18 to 20 meters, relatively small. Okay. You know, versus Leopardon, which is huge. And of course, we kind of get into some of these other robots there in comparison wise. But moving on from Minerva X. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. That, that doesn't count. But that actually shows the exact same sizes you're talking about, I think. Uh... Yeah, sort of. Yeah, yeah, I guess. That's that's pretty close, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the, the picture that we're looking at is a picture of the, the different sizes, the different scaled sizes. The problem is that that's not the right scale. Right off the bat, we can say Leopardon is 100 meters tall. And when you look at references online as far as how big Leopardon is, that, that holds true. This scale only goes to 60 meters. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, Again, well, I don't well, think so. For starting from Radine to the end, moving to the right, those are all the same sizes. I'm going to take a look at that picture up close. Because I'd actually seen this when looking around, and I was like, nope, that doesn't seem like it's right. So Minerva X, we're looking at 18 meters. Okay, that makes sense. When we are talking about the RX-78 Gundam, it was piloted by... Ech, I mean H. It was H? Piloted by <sighs> H. <laughs> piloted by H. We are also talking about about 18 meters. So, yeah, this is pretty spot on as far as this picture is concerned. And when we're talking about Shoto and Radine, we're talking about 50 meters. And again, this is pretty accurate. Yeah, this, this picture is pretty accurate. But when we start to narrow down to... Well, let's get there when we get there. And Well, okay. 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 So Artemis has chosen Minerva X. And then we move on to H, who chose the RX-78 Gundam mech from the original Mobile Suit Gundam anime series. One of his all-time favorites. Mm-hmm. So H has chosen a robot that seems to be of personal significance to him. And what can you tell us about the RX-78 Gundam? Any special powers that we want to know about? Gundams use more conventional weapons. So we're talking about rockets. We're talking about hyper-bazookas, for example. Oh, hyper-bazookas. Hyper, not just a bazooka, hyper-bazooka. It's built from, and you're going to love this, Luna Titanium Alloy. Oh. <laughs> or unobtainium? Which, well, this is just a different type of metal, then, isn't it? Like, it's just another special metal, but it's like this sort of light, uh, lighter alloy metal. It's a Luna Titanium, a moon titanium. Ooh. It's lightweight. It's, it's lightweight. <laughs> They're all lightweight. Come on. <laughs> You know, one's like, oh, we're going to use that awesome metal, but oh my God, it weighs so much. No, no, no. Here's the thing. They're robots. Yeah, so they can be whatever. Well, it, they could, but let's just, we're talking about the Gundam stuff. We're talking about metal robots, and we're talking about conventional weapons. So a lot of this shit that, that these characters have kind of borderline on magical shit, like plasma rays, or it has this thing on my head that I throw and turns into a... A flying boomerang with light that shines out of it. I mean, just some unrealistic shit where you're like, 
I don't know how they made that, but it is non-conventional. And it has a tape deck. And it has a tape. Well, it has an 8-track deck. Oh, yeah. We, we skipped over that. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> 8-track. Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. Yeah, have you seen an eight track before? Have you ever have you used an eight track before? I've not used them, but I've I've surely seen them. Oh my god, they're ugly. They're nothing like a cassette tape. It's like it's the size of your hand. The the advantage to the eight track was that it was a a looped. It wasn't a tape. record. <laughs> it wasn't a record. It was a looped tape, which means that you could just continue to listen. You didn't have to rewind. There was no beginning. There was no end. I don't think. I'm pretty sure it was just a, a circular looped tape. I could be wrong. Or that it would just my start playing the wrong. other side if it had another side. I've... No, it, just, it would just, it would just, you'd basically start over. When I was in college and a part of the college radio station, we, we used eight tracks for commercials and things like that. Right. But I, right. I just don't remember how they functioned. Uh, so we're talking about Vulcan guns. We're talking about ammunition, you know, so it's it's something that you can run out of, not like, you know, an energy sword where you just flick it on and then just chop away. That, that is, I suppose, the problem in this sort of fight, because you're up against these other beasts that have these capabilities that are matched to these sort of mythical, we call them robots, but they're not this kind of mythical robots, they're like god robots, if you will, uh, because they've just got these capabilities that seem endless and ultimately powerful. Even Leopardon's like, hold on a second, let me just pull out my sword and we'll just finish this right now. Right? Yeah. It, Gundam Gundam just isn't going to touch that. Gundam just isn't going to touch that. And when you look at the size of this, the Gundam is a football in comparison to some of the other robots in play here. You know, Ray Dean could kick Gundam, you know, just, you know and just could accidentally step on him. Could accidentally step on him. Now, Minerva X might have some advantages because Minerva X has like some special metals and you know some beams and just some some energy weapons and it again we're we're kind of borderlining sort of technical magic if you will whereas Gundam seems more founded in in the limitations of technology that makes sense yeah now I hear you the I had a feeling we we're going to go to the technical magic route because it's another thing we've discussed before where that just seems to be the key out of all your problems. Right, right. You've got that one thing that, you know, solves that one problem. <laughs> you know, RX-78 Gundam, mm, not so much. So they have to rely more on their fighting abilities as opposed to techno-savvy type stuff? Maybe some of the advantage here would be speed, right? Or agility, because the larger something is, the more mass you got, you know, when you're throwing that shit around, you know, it... It takes a lot of energy to stop something large from from moving. You know, something smaller is going to be more agile, potentially. Potentially. Less mass means less force. So then lightweight Luna titanium alloy would actually go against the whole. Kind of. I, I suppose. Yeah. I mean. It, it, Unless they're going for quantity. A lot of lightweight stuff is still heavy. Yeah, if you've got a shitty engine, it doesn't matter how small you are. You know, it's a shitty engine that, that can't actually help you move very fast, doesn't help you out much. So I, it, it's hard to say. It, it really is, you know, uh, but I, I don't see in this matchup, like Gundam's the weakest in my mind. And again, you know, come at me, audience, if you think otherwise, because I'm curious to know what special weapon a Gundam would have that could possibly take out Raiden, you know, or match up with 
Leopardon, for example. It just it feels like it's pulled from a completely different world where it was very powerful in that world, not very powerful in the world of some of these other robots. I hear you. I'm curious to see what our listeners say about it, especially if they're significantly more learned in this topic than I am and you are, because right. I admittedly am not into this particular genre of pop culture. Well, let's let's compare it to Raiden, for example, because that is the next level up. Raiden is 50 meters oh, tall. So bigger. A little bit. A little bit. Right? You know, at this point, RX-78 Gundam is like a, a mini-me, like a poorly built mini-me. But let's go down the weapons list for Raiden, shall we? Raiden has God Missiles, the God Block, the God Breaker, the God Boomerang, the God Gorgon, the Aura Shock, the Telekinetic Beam, also called God Alpha, the God Pressure, Energy Cutter, and God Voice. If you're going to put the prefix God in front of anything, how do you beat that? And Radon turns into an eagle jet. So he has ramming. He's got God Bird Claw, Esper Burn, God Thunder, and Head Cutter. Those all sound like great weapons. <laughs> Those are awesome. Yes, they did sound awesome. Like, a, like God Pressure is a green lightning bolt that comes out of his forehead. Just to start, right? The God Missiles are bird-like bladed missiles from its abdomen that are highly accurate. And later, upon upgrading have homing capabilities. I have some serious respect for this mech right here. There's no fucking room for anything else in this robot. <laughs> it's, 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 it's kneecap has a weapon, I'm sure, right? I'm sure it does. It has aura shock, which is an electric shock that comes from its fingers. Okay. Its smallest finger, its pinky, could, could fuck up RX-78 Gundam. <laughs> Good for brave raiding. <laughs> I mean, like I said, these are these are different worlds, different levels of power, different levels of quote unquote technology. Did did, did you happen to read up on what Raiding's source of power is? Oh yeah, yeah. It's Raiding's source of power is pyramid power that's emitted from the star of Ramu. <laughs> <laughs> His armor is made of mutronium. <laughs> so yeah. Shoto's robot sounds pretty freaking awesome. Raiding sounds awesome. Raiding sounds like the sounds like the Superman of live action robots. So here's one of the things that kind of irked me. I don't know what order they all got their mechs in. Maybe, maybe <laughs> H was like, "God bless it, I've got a Gundam." Crap. Yeah. <laughs> What's this made out of? Really strong steel. Shit. So not even a special metal. Crap. So anyways. <laughs> so it's really lightweight titanium, dude. <laughs> so generally they've all picked robots because they had a strong personal connection to the robot. Parzival really enjoyed Supida Man, so he goes for Leopardon. Mm. Artemis picks Minerva X because it's a girl robot. And H really liked the the Gundam. Mm -hmm. And so was Shoto really the only smart one that picked a pretty fucking awesome robot? Well, Leopardon's pretty fucking awesome, too. Yeah, but he didn't pick it for its awesomeness. He picked it because he really liked the show and he had to have that one regardless of the other options. Well, that's fine, but that's pretty convenient, though, isn't it? Like, it's, it's really awesome. 
and it's 100 meters tall, and it can do a lot of really cool shit. So his personal connection to this this particular pick also coincidentally is like potentially the second largest of the sure. entire group of robots in battle. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah. But then I'll, then I'll ask a follow-up question, which I'm pretty sure we asked back when we were dealing with all this. Mm-hmm. But why didn't the Sixers farm the hell out of all these robots? Well, remember, once they're gone, they're gone. So there were ones that were missing. Yes. But what I'm saying is, like, there was a limited number of robots. And mm-hmm. as far as we know, it's just Sorrento, the five pieces of Ultron, Mm-hmm. And the other five random ones from Neon Genesis Evangelion. Mm-hmm. Right. They could have right. got all these robots with all the time. They like, there should, why aren't there Sixers that have Leopardon, Raiding, Minerva X, Gundam? That's just it. There was only one. I know. Oh, why didn't they pick it? All right. All right. Why I get didn't you. they okay. have additional Sixers take those robots? Because, and it's funny because I don't think it's not mentioned in the book. Was it Hubris? If I had to make some assumptions, it would be that Sorrento doesn't want anyone else to have a bigger dick. I mean, robot <laughs> than himself by a considerable amount. Okay. So hubris. Um, that's, yeah. Well, here's another thing, though. He mentions that he's got 10 others that place their robots down, five of which can make Voltron, right? Yeah. The 100 meter Voltron. Yeah. Voltron's 100 meters. Now, Mechagodzilla, let's let's presume that we're talking about the biggest Mechagodzilla that's there. Mechagodzilla is 120 meters tall. So this does not really portray the size difference well. Now, it shows Leopardon 60 meters and Sorrento's Mechagodzilla at 60 meters. Oh, you're talking about the, the size comparison chart. I'm looking at the size comparison chart. So we already know that Leopardon is 100 meters because that's what the book says. Um, and I think there's also references online to it being 100 meters. And there's a range of different meters depending on, I think, what series of Mechagodzilla that we're talking about. But the biggest one is 120 meters. So they are considerably larger than everyone else. But Voltron still pretty big. Like Voltron's 100 meters. So it's comparable almost directly to Leopardon in this battle. And when we start talking about Neon Genesis Evangelion, we're talking about 75 meter tall robots. That's still pretty damn big. But he says it's spread out across five others. So maybe it's one or two of the Neon Genesis Evangelion robots, mechas. And then we've got Robotech mechas, which are 15 meters tall. Again, not big. Maybe they felt like they already had the best of the best. Maybe. Maybe. I suspect they kind of figured, well, we've got... 10 plus mechs and nobody else has gotten here to this point and we know we're going to use the shield so fuck right. it we're done and who's to say there aren't sort of like more waiting in in the wing like you've got sorrento and 10 others that are trained to pilot these mechs right these robots you know if one gets killed one of them could just go to the back room grab one of the ones they farmed toss them out that's not what they do but i'm just saying you know, it, at this point, we don't know. We don't know if maybe more could pilot more. Yeah, because we don't know if, because we know that the keys were non-transferable. We don't know right. if the robots were. True, true. Didn't think about that, but you can have anybody swap from one personality to another. Uh, well, in the case of the Sixers, yes. Th- yeah. They could, yeah. But, what would, but if they died, mm-hmm. then they would lose their robot. Like, it would fall onto the floor. 
Right. But then you could have the same skilled person go into the avatar of a person who owns another robot. Oh, I see. Not not use the same that. robot. I gotcha. Right. Right. Holy Toledo. That was a lot of talk about robots. I don't know about you, but I need a little break. Your favorite Gunters will be back before you know it with part two of chapter 33. See ya. I say he said arc of truth oh bless yes the arc turn excuse me try that <laughs> try that whole segment over again he's got the arc turn so the decoration on on leopardon's head <laughs> leopardon <laughs> fuck me <laughs> leo that i'm keeping in dude shut up okay no <laughs> third try he has the arc turn which is a decoration on uh, fuck me <laughs> 